Fuck Chunk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the newest edition of the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast, Hall of Fame 2020 edition. I'm Sal Barry, and today I'm joined by Puck Junk columnist Blake Isaacs. Blake, how are you today? I'm well, Sal. How are you? You're well as in not sick, as in not quarantined for anything bad that we should know about? No, I'm, I'm 100% healthy. 100% healthy. That's what we like to hear. We hope everybody that's listening to this is 100% healthy. But uh, really what we wanted to talk about today was some fun, exciting news. The Hockey Hall of Fame Class of 2020. So, of course, you can't have this discussion without inevitably talking about who got left out this year. So I think that there's a couple of uh, inductions that are no surprise. And then I think there's a couple that were kind of surprising. And then I think there were a couple that were like, Wow, I can't believe these players were overlooked. But uh, before we get to the players, uh, you know, they uh, they uh, inducted a new builder this year. Uh, Ken Holland, the former general manager, longtime general manager of the Detroit Red Wings. So, Blake, what do you want to tell us? Uh, I mean, you're you're a longtime Red Wings fan. Um, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the 97 and 98 championships. And that was kind of around the time that Holland became involved as GM with the team. Yeah, definitely wasn't old enough to remember those. The first, you know, the Wings won in 2002. So I was seven. Mm-hmm. So uh, the 08 championship was the first one that I watched or at least remember watching. Unfortunately, it was also the last one that uh, they've won in Detroit. But yeah, I think I'm, I'm again, I don't know the way they do the balloting for the builders, but I think uh, it's good that Holland, you know, I think he's well, he's deserving. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't, he didn't suffer from recency bias because obviously, you know, the wings are, you know, a dumpster fire right now or not as much as they were, but you know, he kind of left in when they were at their worst um, or forced out, whatever. I mean, I think, you know, he, a lot of people try to take away some of the luster of, you know, putting that 0102 team together. You know, a lot of people say it was one of the greatest teams of all time. I think nine Hall of Famers. But, you know, he was playing with the same rules that everyone else was playing with that back then. Obviously, you know, when you have an owner with deeper pockets, it's easier to win. I read an article in The Athletic this week about signing, I think it was Brett Hull was the last of the three stars they signed that summer. They signed Hashik. Robitaille and then Hall and you know he was kind of the one that uh you know Mike Illich then you know the late uh former owner of the Red Wings now his son owns the team or his family uh with his wife um you know kind of was like hey this one's a little bit over budget you know they let him dip into the the pocketbook for Hall but you know he still won you know three Stanley Cups as a general manager 9802 and 08 uh I believe I know he was in the organization for the you know the 97 cup as well you know he because obviously he took over after a year so he was involved in you know three stanley cups as a gm putting together you know obviously the wings you know they made the playoffs i think 25 straight years even though you know they didn't end in the best way and you know he kind of delayed the rebuild for a while which made them so bad now he won three stanley cups he definitely deserves to be in yeah and the thing is, is that the Red Wings were always in the mix for for the most most of his tenure. Mm-hmm. They were they were always in the mix. They were always a, a, a not even a dark horse. They were always just a contender. I mean, they were like mm-hmm. they were just a, a a strong, solid team. And now you're right. Now pre uh, pre salary cap era, yeah, they did have a stacked team. I mean, I remember when they signed Hull 
and Hashek and Robitaille. And I remember my sister and I talking about that. And she's like, man, this is no fair. The team is just so stacked. Cause she's a, she's a diehard Penguins fan, but she's just like, oh man, I can't believe they got Robitaille because Robitaille used to be a Penguin. And I can't mm-hmm. believe they have such a, a, a great, you know, like team, like, and even Scotty Bowman said that year, uh, the first thing, I mean, I, I forgot who said this, if this was in, in somebody's book, but he just basically said, gentlemen, we're here to win the Stanley Cup. I mean, that was what he said. Um, and, you know, of course, Bowman being the guy who back in the 70s when he coached the Montreal Canadiens and they won those all those Stanley Cups in the 70s, he um, his team was pretty stacked. I mean, he'd, he'd have guys who were like 40, 50 goal scorers on the fourth line or who would be healthy scratches because they would just hoard good players. I mean, that's just how mm-hmm. the Canadians played. Uh, that's actually why they made a lot of rules now about, you know, um, well, they used to have something called the waiver draft. This is before your time, but it was where uh, you could only protect 18 skaters and two goalies. And then that way you couldn't have like guys on the roster that were good enough to play on an NHL team, but were just kind of, you know, filling the press box for your team because you were just trying to hoard these players like the, the mm-hmm. Canadians did in the 70s. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, it, it, it's hard. It was as we've seen. It's it, it's hard to win a lot of championships in the post um, mm-hmm. the, uh, post lockout era. I mean, the Blackhawks did it, but I mean, they they had some exceptional players. Uh, the Penguins did their back to back cups. I mean, they had exceptional players also. Um, and you know, that's really no fault of the Red Wings that other teams just had better players. I mean. It wasn't like they got to draft Evgeny Malkin because they were such a good team. You know, they were up there. And that's that's part of the problem sometimes is like when you're a good team or a great team and then you go to like a pretty good team and then you go to like an OK team and you just kind of like just kind of slide down gradually. You don't get those top picks like a Steve Eiserman back in like 84. You know what I mean? Or uh, uh, 83. Um, yeah. They call it the first round coffin. I think uh, Mitch Album, who writes for the Detroit Free Press, coined. I don't know if he coined the term, but uh, a couple of years ago, when the Wings were still playoff content- contenders for the playoffs, uh, all the Detroit teams were in the first round coffin. Like, not good enough to win a championship, but not bad enough to get like a franchise altering pick. And I think when you think about the Wings, you know, making the playoffs for 25 straight years, like, you got to reload and I, you know, they had a core, you know, Lidstrom and a lot of guys who were around for so long, you know, throughout that entire term, but you can't like 20 years, like some, what I don't, the average NHL career is like five years. So you got to think like they're, they were putting guys, you know, the guys on the 08 team. Yeah. They had McCarty and Draper and Lidstrom who were on all four teams. Uh, but you know, they didn't, that core was very different. They had Datsuk and Zetterberg as, you know, compared to Fedorov and Iserman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's not like, like they rebuilt the team. Like, yeah, obviously when you have Nicholas Lidstrom, it's a little bit easier, but you know, the other two guys I mentioned were more role players and, you know, the core was extremely different. So uh, yeah, you're right. Um, you know, you kind of had to put together a, a different team. Yeah. So um, anyway, so uh, yeah. So Ken Holland in on the builder category, uh, was the G- GM of the Red Wings from uh, 97 to 2019. And then, of course, the, the Red Wings won the Stanley Cup in 97, 98, 2002, 2008. And although he didn't really have much of a role in building the 97 team, he was the GM in the 98 team, although that was maybe he didn't have much of a role in that. But then again, I mean, he worked as a scout. So, I mean, that's why mm-hmm. scouts even get their names sometimes on the Stanley Cup and get a Stanley Cup ring because 
they they scout the player. And I'm not saying that he necessarily scouted, you know, the player that was the difference in the 2002 or two, whatever um, cup final. But yeah, I mean, you have these guys who uh, they do work as GM, but like a lot of the work that they did even goes back further back than that. So yeah, I mean, he was a lifer for Detroit. I was actually surprised that he went to Edmonton, but I guess if you want to be GM, you're going to go where you're, where there, where there's a GM job available. Yeah. I th- I think I wasn't as surprised with Edmonton because there was a lot of talk where, you know, he joined Seattle in a couple years because he he's from British Columbia. Mm-hmm. I think he has a home out there. Um, so, you know, obviously that was probably an attractive spot because I believe they were saying like, he's still, you know, he, he's got like a lake house or some sort of home that he, he doesn't get to as much as he, he wishes he could. Uh, and you know, Edmonton's a lot closer to British Columbia than Detroit is. And I think, uh, you know, Edmonton hasn't been very good the last few years, but when you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, I, I surely wouldn't pass up that opportunity. No, no, absolutely not. So moving on to the, uh, the, the player category. So a couple of selections here were no surprise at all. Uh, in their first year of eligibility, uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame inducted Jerome McGinley and Marion Hosa, both right wingers, uh, both had extraordinary careers. So just to give a little bit of the, the rundown on each one. So Aginla's career, he had 625 goals and 675 assists for 1,300 points in the regular season. Won the Art Ross Trophy in 2002 and the Rocket Richard Trophy in 2002 and 2004. Uh, he also won the Lester B. Pearson Trophy in 2002 and the uh, Mark Messier Leadership Award. I don't know why I had to mention that. I, I don't like that award. I mean, eh, it's an award. I get it. But it's like, I just feel like it's an excuse for Mark Messier to show up during the award ceremony and be like, hi, remember me? I used to play here. I'm also in the Hall of Fame. Um and then anyway, so uh, Iginla was drafted in, in, in 95, and I'm actually working on a redraft of the 1995 draft. I, I do a 25-year look back. I've been doing that since 1990. I did that in 2015 where I looked back at the 1990 draft and, you know, reordered the draft, you know, just because hindsight is 2020 and it's also fun. Um, I, haven't, I haven't gotten around to finishing my 1995 redraft because – Usually when the entry draft comes up, that's usually the kick in the ass that I need to say, oh, I need to get this article done now because the draft is Friday. But um, there's no draft at the moment. So I haven't really I haven't really seated anybody past Aginla, who was, you know, the shoe in the best player in the, the 95 draft. And, you know, he's also even a, a gold medalist in 2002, 2010 with uh, Team Canada. And he was on the first team all star three times and. Uh, second team all-star once so yeah I mean no no surprise for Aginla at all yeah I mean I think he's a shoe in you know one of the best goal scorers in NHL history you know you like to see guys who played so long um, kind of embody you know the team they played for you know he was the best Calgary Flame for probably you know every season he was on the team captain of the team led them to what game seven of the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup where they lost to Tampa in 04, yeah. right? 04. Uh, yeah, six, six-time six All-Star, three-time, four-time NHL All-Star team, uh, three of those first teams, you know, like you said, two-time gold medalist, uh, played in another Olympics, led, uh, you know, the playoffs in goals one year. He was he was a shoe and you know, never won a Stanley Cup, but um, kind of accomplished everything else. I think he was just, did just enough to be 
you know, get inducted in his, uh, in the first round, um, or in his first ballot, you know, he was that good of a goal scorer. Um, you know, I would probably never the best player in the league during his tenure, but I would say there were probably some years he was top five, scored 50 goals, um, twice. Um, yeah, definitely deserving. Yeah. And you know, that's the thing though, is that like, I think that like for a forward, unless you're a defensive forward, like Bob Gainey, or I guess Guy Carboneau, uh, who made it in last year, um, if you are a forward and you score goals, I think minimally you need to have 400 goals just to be in the conversation for being in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I mean, unless you had, you know, some other contributions to the game, um, 400 goals, I think, you know, that's usually the milestones. Your 400 goals, your 600 assists, your 1,000 points. When a player scores 500 goals, now that really raises eyebrows because it's like, whoa, 500. I mean, 400 is like that that benchmark where if you look at that, you go, wow, that's a milestone. 500 is like beyond that. And 600, I mean, now you're just, now it's just ridiculous. You know what I mean? When you get into these guys who've scored 600 goals like a Ginla. So that's why I say it's it's no surprise there. Um, I mean, and again, you know, there's that argument like, and I, I never, yeah, I'll tell you, Blake, I'm not a fan of the he never won a championship argument. Um because a lot of the times it just it it really depended on what team you ended up on. I mean, there's been arguments about the Maple Leafs in the '60s and the Canadians in the '70s, and they say, well, you had some guys who were pretty good players on championship teams, but if they played on the California Golden Seals, they would not even be considered for the Hall of Fame. But because they played for Toronto in '66 or Montreal in '76. Here they are in the hall. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think you could kind of do. That's where I think it's interesting if you if you do both. You know, you can see guys who you know might not have contributed as much to a winning team, but then you know they went off and they played for a team that wasn't as good. Where they could, and if they still produced, you know, you see it all the time. Like the O2 Red Wings are a good example. Like Brendan Shanahan led that team with I think 75 points. You know. Mm-hmm. There, there are Hall of Famers on that team who were like capable of scoring. You know, I think Brett Hall had 30 goals that season, or Robitaille had 30 goals, and like obviously those guys weren't in their primes. You know, Hall wasn't scoring 70 goals a season anymore, but like those were guys who, if you put them on a, you know, hockey's a team sport, so it's a little bit harder because you know if you are playing, Sal, if you and I suited up on a line with Brett Hall, he wouldn't score 30 goals. But you know, if you put us with McDavid, he's still putting up numbers. Like I, it's kind of a a double-edged sword because. If you play on a worse team where you don't have to sacrifice as much, you're going to put up numbers, but they're mm-hmm. empty numbers. You play and you, you know, sacrifice a little bit more like Steve Eisenman, you know, he put up the best offensive years of his career when they didn't have anyone around him. You know, he had 55 goals in a season. He starts playing a little bit more defensively with Scotty Bowman. He's never really scoring that much as much anymore, but you know, he's winning three Stanley cups. So I think it goes both ways. Like, would you rather be put up few, fewer or have fewer accolades on a championship team and hold back a little, or would you rather be the best player on a not as good team? But I see what you mean, you know, in hockey where, you know, if you have great line mates, you know, like look at Boston right now, like, yeah, I bet if you put Brad Marchand on, you know, the Winnipeg Jets or, you know, the Canucks or teams that uh, those are solid teams, but you know, teams that aren't as good as Boston, he's probably not putting up the same amount of points. Um, But at the same time, like, I think, a collection of talent might be a little bit better 
um, you know, to have a guy who sacrifices a little bit to, you know, win. So, I mean, I think both, I would say all players, especially all players who really embody sportsmanship and, and with a team first attitude, yeah, they would, they would sacrifice personal accolades for a team championship. That's that, that goes without a doubt. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I look at like the last couple of years, how Patrick Kane has been putting up some of the best numbers in his career, but they're not for championship teams. You know, he's, he's on the Blackhawks. He's their best player. He's scoring a lot of goals, getting a lot of assists, you know, leading the team in scoring, even leading the league in scoring. But he's not, I mean, not this year, but a couple of years ago, but he's not, you know, it's, it's like you said, kind of like empty points are almost like empty Mm. calories. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, great. You had, I mean, I'm not criticizing because the, the, object is for forwards to score goals and I guess you know there's that argument oh yeah he scored three goals but then he was also on the ice when four goals were scored against them so did he really help the team and I would argue well yeah he did because he's supposed to go out there and score goals you know what I mean and I mean you could be a minus player as a wing and that's probably looked down upon but I mean I always say like if if a goal is scored against a team it's because five guys on the ice made a mistake, not just one guy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because there's five guys out at, out there on the ice, you know. But g- getting back uh, off my tangent and back back to the um, the point I was trying to make, Iginla had, uh, I mean, he had some great seasons and he didn't always have the most help, but he was uh, more than a solid player. I mean, he was, you know, if he, <laughs> if he was on the 2002 Red Wings, you know, he'd have a Stanley Cup. You know, even yeah. like I was watching. Um, did you have a chance to watch TSN's coverage that they streamed online? I did not. They went and they talked with the Ginla. They they talked to him from his house, and um, he talked. They talked about his. He was on a 2002 and 2010 um, gold medal winning Canadian Olympic teams. He was also on a 2006 team. They didn't do so well that year, but um, in 2002, he said, you know. I, I didn't even think I was going to make that team. He said, I was, he said, honestly, he's like, I think they invited me to, to training camp because I lived close to where they were having training camp and whoever what was supposed to come didn't come. And so they asked him to come. And then, you know, he's on a team with like Steve Eiserman and Mario Lemieux. And he's just, you know, was like, so just like honored to be a part of that. Um, and then in 2010, of course, you know, he set up Crosby for that, that overtime goal against uh, the United States, which still stings to this day for it me. Anyway. Yeah, it, it, it hurts. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so again, definitely, you know, obviously congratulations, awesome player, happy for him. You know, another thing I want to say, and and I think this, this embodies to me what kind of player again, was, I mean, he could fight, he could score goals. He was a consummate teammate. He was a team captain. I remember when another longtime NHL player named Trevor Linden retired. And I remember at the end of that game, it was like Calgary versus um, versus Vancouver. And I remember Iginla shook Linden's hand at the end of the game. And I, I don't know if this was his idea, but I'm giving him credit. He had the whole Calgary Flames team come out and shake hands with Trevor Linden and I just thought, wow, that's such a great thing. Because L- Linden played a long time. 
he's not in the Hall of Fame. He never won a championship. He came close in 94 with the Canucks. But, I mean, he was just such a hardworking, honest, respectable player. Um, you know, really a, a great player in the 90s and the 2000s. And I just, I remember seeing that and just thinking, wow, what a classy gesture by Iginlaw. And and I, that, that just, to me, that just says what kind of a, 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 a player he was. Yeah, no, I think, you know, he seemed to be a pretty classy guy, um, you know, throughout his career. And I think also to know, you know, with what's going on right now with, you know, race in North America to see, you know, a black player get inducted in the Hall of Fame is super cool, especially while the league's trying to promote, you know, inclusion and, um, you know, everything with what's going on. And so I think that's just something that's cool to see. And obviously, again, isn't in the Hall of Fame because of that. He's in the Hall of Fame because he scored a lot of goals and, you know, was a really good player. But it's nice to see that, you know, with everything that, you know, the, I forget the hockey diversity Mm -hmm. alliance, I'm not sure the name, you know, is trying to do and promote hockey, you know, to black kids growing up. I think seeing Jerome again on the Hall of Fame is definitely something that hopefully helps. So um, another Red Wing, Marion Hosa made it into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Do you want to talk about, uh, do you want to talk about Hosa? Yeah, I mean, Hosa, obviously another guy that you know, definitely deserves it. He had kind of an interesting career, you know, went to three straight Stanley Cups, switched teams, was on the Penguins, lost to the Wings, flipped to the Wings, lost to the Penguins, and then went to the Blackhawks and, you know, won it all the next year. And then, you know, his career, I mean, he was he was already a dynamite player, you know, with Ottawa, traded for Heatley um, to, you know, the Thrashers and then finished out and, you know, put up some some good seasons with, you know, Chicago, but he was, you know, one of the better players on the team, won three Stanley Cups. So, you know, overall, won three Stanley Cups with Chicago, went to five total. You know, he was a beast. If you look at his Olympic numbers, like he's putting up crazy numbers with Slovakia, never won. I don't believe he ever medaled, but 10 points in the 06 Olympics, nine points in the 10 Olympics. Um, Just one of the better Olympic players ever for, you know, a country that, you know, has a bunch of stars, Slovakia, you know, Char's from there, um, Hosa. um, I can't think of anyone else right now. No, Um, it's okay. I mean, Won three championships, five all-star teams, uh, was an NHL second team all-star in uh, 2009, uh, scored 40 goals with the Wings. Um, yeah, just, I mean, 100-point season in Atlanta. You know, he was definitely one of the best players of his era, for sure. Again, pro- probably maybe never a top-five player at the time, um, but, you know, pretty consistent overall, you know? Yeah, and I think that's what it is, just consistently good. I mean, even, or great, even, like, with his... If you think about it, like he had, he had his most personal success before coming to the Blackhawks, mm-hmm. uh, and then he had his most team success, obviously, with the Blackhawks. I mean, he was such an important part of those teams. I mean, I, I, he could have been. I mean, honestly, he was the missing piece for them. I mean, because one is experience, and two is Marion Hosa. I mean, of course, there were a couple of other guys. Um, also, I mean, Thomas Kopecky, he kind of came along with Hosa. He was kind of part of that deal because he was his friend. So he got on the team. Kopecky got on the team as well. But, uh, yeah, and it, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it, it's weird in a way. And, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of another player, another former Atlanta thrasher who's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Well, Chris Chelios, of course. <laughs> yes. But, you know, nobody really thinks of Chris Chelios as – a thrasher. You either think of him as a Canadian, a Black Hawk, or a Red Wing. 
And then you're like, oh, yeah, right. And he also played for the Thrashers for a handful of games. But Hossa, I mean, he put up some crazy numbers with the Thrashers. I mean, he was a great player for them. So it's just kind of funny to see somebody in the hall who actually played a number of years with Atlanta. And I mean, you know what? Somebody might point out, you know, well, this guy who was inducted four years ago played on the Thrashers. And that's that's right. I don't have a list of everybody who's in the hall in front of me. But, you know, I mean, I do remember Hosa with the Thrashers. I remember him with the um, the Senators. I remember when he was at the Thrashers and there was a rumor that he'd come to Chicago. Now, this is, of course, before he went to Pittsburgh and to Detroit. And it was like, well, he's friends with Martin Havlat. And the Blackhawks had Martin Havlat. And then we also had Michael Hanzus. And I was just thinking, oh, my God, if we had Havlat, Hanzus, and Hosa, well, I'd call it the Triple H line for obvious reasons, but that would have <laughs> just been insane. I mean, that would have been because, I mean, for a little while, Hosa, excuse me, Havlat and Hanzus were clicking really well together for the Blackhawks. Uh, unfortunately, when they signed Hosa, they didn't have enough money to retain Havlat. Um, and see, and then there's that argument about a good player who, you know, never won a cup. I mean, Havlat's not in this conversation. He's not even eligible this year. Um, at least I don't think he was. But, um, yeah, Hosa. Um, and by the way, when I said former Red Wing, that was a dig at you. But you were too classy to take the bait. Because I know a lot of Red Wing fans were pissed off when Hosa went and signed with the Blackhawks. Yeah, that was... It's like I don't even I obviously remember that because you know I watched him on the the uh 09 team. But yeah, it was so long ago. But I think what's interesting about Hosa is that he is like a fringe first ballot Hall of Famer. Like when you look at his numbers, like they're good. You know, I'd say he's he's an obvious Hall of Famer. You know, obviously mm -hmm. what you don't see in the numbers unless you look at the advanced stats or the fact that he was a great defensive forward. But you know, like obviously, I mean Crosby and Ovechkin are, you know, not good comparisons because they're two of the best ever. But, you know, only one 100-point season, you know, only, I, I think, five or six seasons with more than 70 points. Like, great, re really good seasons. But, you know, you see guys like I mean, Nikita Kucherov could do that, you know, could end up with a much, much better statistics before he retires. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Looks like he had um, six seasons with more than 70 points, you know. Um, definitely a Hall of Famer, first ballot. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a little surprised. But, you know, I think his contributions to the Blackhawks and being arguably, what, the a part of that core, the fourth or fifth best player on um, mm -hmm. three chance, you know, a, a dynasty, essentially. I think, like you said, you, you know, we talked about all the guys on Toronto's teams and Montreal's teams that, you know, uh, might not have been worthy, but they played for teams that won championships like mm -hmm. i think if you keep him on if you put him on i don't know the dallas stars and they never crack a stanley cup you know when he puts up the same statistics he does i don't think he's a first ballot hall of famer but when you add three stanley cups to that um i think it you know makes him worthy so you don't think 500 goals and 600 assists is uh put, puts him in that conversation especially I since a lot of this was in the dead puck era yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you say those benchmarks, definitely, um, mm -hmm. you know, 57th all-time in points um, behind a couple guys who aren't in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but, you know, I think it's interesting because typically guys, you're either great or you're really, really – because, you know, my dad always says it's not the Hall – it's the Hall of Fame. It's not the Hall of Very Good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think his longevity 
to what I just said, you know, maybe not being a first ballot almost hurts him because he was very, very good for a long time, you know, and I think that's a way to get in the Hall of Fame if you don't play for a long time. Like I'm looking, Sergei Fedorov um, has is a couple spots ahead of ahead of him on the all time points list. Obviously, he didn't play as long, but he was like arguably a top five player. Yeah. Majority of his career. Hosa. I don't think I'd ever put him in that category. Obviously, when you you say 500 points, 600 assists, you know, he's definitely there. Um, he's definitely, I don't know if he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I, he's definitely deserving. Um, the milestones speak for themselves, but I think playing for so long, you know, definitely but, helped a little bit. But playing for so long, I mean, just, uh, you know, just to go on off of that point, because, I mean, that's another thing, too. When somebody says, Oh, sure, he scored a thousand points, but it took him 20 years to do it. And I go, Yeah, but he played 20 years. I mean, that's amazing. It, that in itself, you know. So, I mean, sometimes it's just, I mean, sometimes you have guys like Iserman who put up a crazy amount of points and they play a long time. And then you mm-hmm. have guys who put up, you know, I wouldn't say uh, looking at Hosts' statistics, okay, 1,134 regular season points. I wouldn't say that's a crazy amount of points. I mean, that's, that's like, amazing but that's not like Yarmir Yager amazing you know what I mean or yeah. or, or Steve Iser. well I mean again um I don't have everybody's stats in front of me but um yeah so uh Hosa I mean I was I was happy for him uh and it, what's funny is that the next two guys maybe not funny but so I'm watching this and they're like Ken Holland and the first thing I thought was okay they start with the builder and then I thought oh um I thought he was actually in the Hall of Fame already. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Good way to go, Ken Holland. And then they were like, again, Len Ho. So I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And then I'm like, okay, Ronick, 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 Jeremy Ronick. This is going to be the year. This is going to be the year. And then they, they mentioned Kevin Lowe. And then they later mentioned Doug Wilson. And I go, okay, two defensemen, two guys who have been out of the game for more than 20 years. Now, back in the day the NHL used to have this, or excuse me, the Hockey Hall of Fame back in the day used to have this category called the veterans category. And it was kind of like for that player who had been retired a long time and they look back at them and then they they induct them. So they don't induct them right away, but they induct them, you know, maybe 20 years later. Uh, and now they don't do that anymore. Now they just call it the, it's, it's all the players category, regardless of whether if you were inducted three years after you retired or 30 years after you retired, you're in the players category. But back then they used to have the veterans category. And I, I thought that was a good idea. I mean, I like the fact that it's just all the players and are not just saying, well, yeah, you're inducted, but they had to wait 30 years to make up their mind, whether you were good enough or not. Um, but what I like about this is that, Sometimes you don't realize things as they're happening, but when you look back at it five years, 10 years, 15 years later, you go, wow, okay, that was actually pretty good. That player had a really good career. Now that I look back, you know, maybe back in the 90s, the 80s and 90s. So I want to just talk about Doug Wilson real quick because I remember him as a player. I used to go to Blackhawks games as a kid. I remember him at the games, you know, skating around with no helmet. Um, his, you know, his, his, his curly hair flowing around, um, and he played 16 seasons. Um, he played over a thousand games plus 95 playoff games. He did win the Norris trophy in 82. Um, he was one of the last helmetless players. And then, you know, first team all-star in 82, second team all-star in 85 and in 90. And then he was also the first captain of the San Jose Sharks, which 
I actually, uh, I'll say this. He, he really, Doug Wilson engineered his own trade to the Sharks. And when I was a kid, I remember him going to the Sharks and I told myself, he's going to run the team someday. And sure enough, here he is as GM. <sighs> no, and you know, it's funny though, because uh, you've heard of Mike Keenan, right? The, the yeah. hard-nosed coach, right? It's been around. So Wilson and Keenan were at odds and then Keenan was GM and coach. So he was like, Keenan was like church and state or judge, jury and executioner, however you want to see being the coach and the GM. I think that's too much power for one person. Mike Keenan and Doug Wilson didn't get along. Doug Wilson demanded a trade. However, Doug Wilson had a no trade clause in his contract. So he had to approve any trade that he made or that the team made. So he said the only team he would accept a trade to would be the San Jose Sharks. And I'm looking at this as a kid and I'm like, okay, this guy's brilliant because the Sharks don't have any history yet. They don't have, you know, 30 years of ex players trying to get some sort of scouting job or something. And sure enough, as soon as he retired, they gave him a job right away. And he just worked <laughs> his way up through the ranks to general manager because, you know, first captain and uh, first team captain in Sharks history. And, you know, they didn't have a lot of, I mean, look at like Steve Eiserman, right? Like Steve Eiserman had to go elsewhere to be uh, a general manager, right? Before coming back to the Red Wings and being a general manager. Because yeah, was he was a, the assistant general manager to Holland, and then Holland, you know, wasn't going to yes, step down. Right, and when you have when you have like a lot of guys that are kind of entrenched in place, there's a bit of a logjam, and you have to move around. Uh, so anyway, so uh, getting back to Wilson, he was obviously a smart player to you know, engineer his own trade. But at the same time, I feel like this is what kept him out of the Hall of Fame for such a long time. Because uh, Bill Wirtz, the longtime owner of the Blackhawks, he had a lot of friends in high places. And the Hall of Fame selection committee, which changes over time, like gradually, it's not like they bring in new people every year to vote for new Hall of Fame members. But I feel that, like, Doug Wilson was blacklisted from even being in the conversation, not the conversation, but being in the Hall of Fame because, you know, he rubbed he rubbed the Blackhawks the wrong way with demanding that trade. Because basically, they had to trade him. He was an asset. They had to trade him. But they could only trade him to one team, so they couldn't really shop him around for the best offer and what they got was a second round pick and a, a player who never made it to the NHL. So I feel that that kind of worked against Wilson uh, and, and that's why it kept him out a long time. But then again, um, when I was at the virtual expo this past weekend, I mean, I asked a friend who had been watching hockey since like the fifties and sixties. And I said to him, was Doug Wilson good enough to be in the hall of fame? And he thought about it. He goes, I think he's borderline. Like he's just right on the cusp. So, I mean, everybody has a different opinion. Of course, me looking up to him as a kid, I'm like, yes, he's finally in the Hall of Fame. And to other people who maybe just saw him play, they go, yeah, he's good. Sorry, that was a long spiel. But you have no idea how happy Doug Wilson getting in makes me. I, I was hoping that Ronick and Wilson would get in in the same year, but this is half as good, but I'm still super excited. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really watch, you know, he retired, Wilson retired before I was alive. So I didn't get to watch him at all. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I looked at his numbers. You know, they're pretty good. Um, you know, 827 points, I believe. Uh, you know, a .8 point per game player as a defenseman. Um, you know, that's 
Pretty good. I mean, points-wise, you know, obviously there's a lot more than points. Uh, he had a 39-goal season, which is, you know, the year he won the Norris, which is pretty crazy. I mean, that in itself, I don't think a defenseman's done that since I've been alive. Um, so, yeah, again, I, I would defer to you on this, but, I mean, the stats are, you know, I'd say good enough. Um, you know, obviously the little bit of history with the Sharks. He's got, a, you know, he's got the Norris. He's, you know, a couple-time All-Star. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it seems like, you know, his game aged well to the voters and, you know, now he's in, you know, one thing that was memorable about Wilson was that he had a, he had a hard slap shot. And I know a lot of people like from the sixties will be like, Oh, Bobby Hall, you know, obviously had such a, a powerful slap shot. And then maybe in the nineties, we talk about Al McInnes, but anyway, so, um, Wilson had a, had a hard slap shot. And I remember one time he shot the puck so hard and the goalie like stretched out his stick to block the shot it was kind of like a mid level shot and like this it hit his stick and it went flying out of his hands and it was just like to me it was like the coolest thing that like the goalie like stopped the shot with his stick but the the shot was so powerful it ripped the stick out of his hands and it like went into the corner he was um a damn good player and then kevin lowe six stanley cup championships you know a, a very solid a uh, more defensive-minded defenseman, and and those guys tend to get overlooked a lot in in Hall of Fame conversations, even though the name of their game is defense. But then it's always like looking at how many points did they score, you know. And and I think I mean a lot of it has to do with Bobby Orr changing the role of the defenseman from being the guy that prevents goals to being the guy that also has to help contribute and then also prevent goals. Yeah, I mean. He played a long time. You know, again, I never got to see him play. He did play games after I was born, though. So there's that. And I think you're right. Defensive defensemen, like stay-at-home defensemen, do get overlooked. So, you know, it's hard. It's so hard to look at stats because, you know, it looks like, what, 347 career – 431 career points, 347 assists. Like, it's really hard to, you know, judge someone based off those numbers. Obviously, that's where the hard thing with hockey. But – he won six championships. You know, he was a plus 260 on his career. I know, say what you want about those stats. But I think to, to play that long, especially on teams that good, you know, the, the, the 80s Edmonton Oilers and that Rangers team, like, you got to be good. Like, you, I mean, if you're not good enough, you're not going to last in, in this league. So, I mean, just to play that long on those teams and play major minutes on championship teams, I mean, I think that says all – Oh, it really should. You know, I'm looking at it. Uh, his playoff numbers, too, are pretty solid. Uh, you know, played a ton of minutes in those times. So I think that should really speak volumes enough. So funny little thing about you bring up his stats, and I just want to throw this out there because this is just a fun little tidbit. On Kevin Lowe's 1988-89 OPG hockey card, the stat totals on his card are for Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> I don't know how that happens, and I don't know how the proofreader didn't overlook that and go, wait a minute, this guy has some insane numbers for a defenseman. Oh, wait, those are Gretzky's numbers, right? They never corrected that, but it's still just kind of funny how that mistake squeezed its way through. You know, another thing, I mean, even like in his like 14th, 15th year, I mean, he was an uh, an integral part of the 94 New York Rangers team 
Mike Keenan, I brought him up earlier. He was the coach of that team in 94. And it's funny because there were a lot of ex-Blackhawks on that team. And there were a lot of ex-Oilers on that team. Uh, but, but Lowe was a part of that team. So, yeah. So, we got two defensemen. And then the last inductee um, in the uh, women's player category, Kim St. Pierre, three-time Olympic gold medalist, 2002, 2006, 2010, won the uh, CWHL, Canadian Women's Hockey League. She's a top goalie in 2008 and helped the team win the Clarkson Cup in 2009. So, I mean, hockey is such a unique sport in the fact that there's international women's hockey and there is some professional women's hockey, but that these players can be recognized because if you look at like the baseball hall of fame or the football hall of fame or the basketball hall of fame, I mean, I don't know if there's any women in the basketball hall of fame. I I mean, I don't know. Yeah. The basketball hall of fame uh, recognizes both men and women. Okay. So that, so that's, that's, so that, that's another example, but this, this is what makes hockey such, such a unique sport is that there are women players. And even though, pro women hockey isn't where NHL hockey is. There's still a lot of like uh, love and celebration for their international game. I mean, going back to even like in the all-star break when they had that women's three on three game. I mean, dude, that was, that was intense. That was, I mean, I, I watched the Olympic games. I watched the uh, women Olympic games. And I remember going back to 1998 when the U S team won the gold medal and just like how exciting that was for women's hockey in the United States. Uh, now Kim St. Pierre's Canadian player, but uh, you know, deservedly she's in the um, she's in the hall. Yeah. I think it's really cool. I think hockey and I think women's soccer too have been sports that kind of attracted a lot of attention when the, you know, on the women's side when they're doing well. I mean, I remember actually making an event out of the, I'm not sure if it was the World Cup or the Olympics when the U.S. women's team won. I want to say it was 2014. I think it was the World Cup. But, yeah, like I remember when, you know, Canada and the U.S. team faced off in the gold medal game, you know, a couple years ago. Like, I don't remember if I watched it or not, but I remember caring, you know, if they won. Mm -hmm. A girl from my high school actually uh, played for Team USA. Um, You know, being from Michigan, there's a lot of Michigan. I don't know how many uh, women on the team were from Michigan, but typically, you know, if you look at the – men's and women's rosters is a pretty good representation. Um, so yeah, I think it's super awesome. I think like, I hope that the NHL can help, you know, with the professional women's league, obviously like it sucks that it's a business and, you know, they got to make sure that they figure out a way to support it monetarily. You know, you see the WNBA has been awesome, but it's struggled a little bit to like bring in fans. So I think like, however they can support the women would be great. But I think, yeah, like internationally, it's awesome that they have a platform you know, it's obviously difficult when they don't have, you know, obviously like, you know, for Ryan Kessler or Ryan Getzlaff or a lot of these guys, you know, they're getting paid to play hockey year round so they can take care of themselves. They have the money for it. So it's a little bit easier to play international hockey. Whereas for the women, um, obviously, or any Olympic athlete that, you know, doesn't have the funding to train year round, um, it's kind of hard to keep playing. Um, so it keeps the pool less competitive. But I think, yeah, you're right. Uh, it's cool to see that the NHL Hall of Fame is for everyone, um, you know, and, you know, there's a little bit of diversity in this year's class with, you know, St. Pierre and Aginla. Do you want to talk a little about who could have made it this year, who was eligible or who has been eligible and, and maybe weren't um, weren't invited? Yeah, uh, a couple guys that 
you know, I'd like to see get in Rod Brindamore. Um, I'm a big fan of him. You know, he obviously is a great coach right now for the Hurricanes. He went to Michigan State. Uh, he was a really good player there. So I'd like to see any guy like that, you know, get in. Again, he's one of those. He's definitely a fringe guy. Um, you know, he was, he won a Stanley Cup, two-time Selkie trophy, 452 goals, 1,100 plus points. Uh, you know, again, played 20 years. Uh, you know, again, never like a top, top player, four seasons with 80 plus points. Uh, you know, usually guys who kind of bounce around who are like second tier players don't always get a lot of love. You know, he played for three teams and obviously, you know, he played for Carolina and Philly for a long time. Um, but, you know, it's those teams, obviously Carolina won the one year, but he wasn't on any dynasty. Um, I mean, he did take Carolina to two Stanley Cup finals. I'd like to see him get in. Um, Daniel Alfredson, I know it was his first time. Um, you know, he played for the Wings for a year, but, you know, a lifelong senator pretty much. Uh, his numbers are close, you know, 444 goals, 1,100 plus points again. Very similar numbers to Brenda Moore. Uh, he did take uh, the Senators to that one Stanley Cup Finals in the mid-2000s. Uh, was it not against the Hurricanes? Or? That was 2007 the next year? the Ducks. The next year, yep, lost to the Ducks. Um, you know, he was a tremendous player. Again, a lot of love for those guys who played a long time for, obviously, you know, played for the Wings as last year, but for one team pretty much. He had a 100-point season. Um, again, just like Brendan Moore, four 80-plus point seasons. Uh, and a guy, I know you have guys to talk about, but I'm a big Shane Doan guy. You know, one franchises his entire career, one season in Winnipeg, the rest in Phoenix. Um, probably not. I'd say he's – I love Shane Doan. You know, I had family in Arizona, so I always kind of had a soft spot for the Coyotes. I'd say he's one of the best players who is probably definitely not a Hall of Famer. You know. Two 70-plus point seasons, only two seasons where he scored 30 goals. Um, obviously, he's a great, you know, you hear great things about him in the community. And as an ambassador, he's kind of probably the one guy you think of when you think of the Coyotes. Probably never the best player on the team. Um, I think they went to one conference finals in 11-12. Um, he's a guy I really like, you know, played in the Olympics, but probably will never crack the Hall of Fame. So also... Um who guys who've been eligible for a little while now, Jeremy Roenick, he retired in 2009. So he would have been eligible in 2012 and Alex McGilney retired in 2006. So he would have been eligible uh, since 2009. Now what's surprising to me about these two is Roenick has over 1200 points. He has over 500 goals. He's got like 500 something goals, 700 something assists. He's got uh, just over 1200 points. And uh, McGillney has over a thousand points, and um, yeah, I, uh, I every year that Ronick's not in the Hall of Fame is just another year. I say, why not? I mean, again, five hundred goals. That's you know, four hundred goals is like we should have a conversation about this guy. Like he meets the minimum criteria. Five hundred goals. It's like he should really be in the Hall of Fame. And now we're looking at like. 700 assists, you know, honestly, he's another one because, see, uh, I mean, Chicago fans for years have been saying Doug Wilson, Steve Larmer, and um, Jeremy Roenick should all be in the Hall of Fame. Now, there's arguments for and against Larmer because Larmer was a really good player. He played uh, 800-something consecutive games. Uh, without injury, without taking a game off, without being scratched. So he, he has like the second longest streak 
Iron Man streak, which does not make an NHL Hall of or does not make a Hockey Hall of Famer. But uh, Roenick has the numbers. I mean, he has the numbers, but because he and Bill Wirtz could not work out a deal, he and the, the general manager, but it was really Wirtz who didn't want to pay him what he was worth. So he ended up going to the Coyotes, um, and, the, and the rest is history. But that's um, that's uh, that one always just kind of still aggravates me. And now that Roenick opened up his mouth and got himself in trouble back in December, I feel like this is probably going to push him back a few more years from that. Yeah, I mean, hockey's interesting. I know baseball has like a, I don't know what they call it. It's like a morality clause. It's basically like, hey, do they represent values or something like that? Basically, it's like, if he's a good person, if or it's more, they use it more against him. Hey, if he's a piece of shit, we're going to keep him out. Yeah, there is a, I think there is a confirmed sex offender in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So, I mean, kind of, it's a stupid rule. I mean, you know, there's a lot of guys in Hall of, at least in the Baseball Hall of Fame where they have that rule who probably weren't great guys who are in, you know, it's just a stupid way for writers to not vote for guys they didn't like. Uh, but I mean, I mean, Ronick is a confirmed idiot in terms of the things he says. I mean, what he said, it was actually, I, w- I just listened to the interview. It was on the, the Barstool Sports Spit and Chicklets podcast, which I'm a frequent listener. I've kind of been behind for about eight months of listening. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've just gone and li- I literally listened to it last week. I've listened to all the interviews because, you know, they talk about current events and I'm already eight months behind. So I just listened to the interviews and, you know, Ronick's already been let go. Uh, from NBC and I listened to it, you know, stupid shit that he's saying, but I mean, on the ice, I mean, yeah, he's, he's by far the best player we've talked about. Maybe, you know, not, maybe not Hosa or um, again, not better than those two, but you know, of all the fringe guys we've talked about, I mean, he should be in, you know, the numbers are there 500 plus goals, 700 plus assists, didn't win a Stanley cup, went to one. I mean, four forty plus goal seasons, 300 plus point seasons. You know, he was, Definitely has the numbers more so than anyone else. You know, one of the best Blackhawks of the era, you know, especially an era where probably not a lot to remember, whereas not everything was on TV. At least I don't remember when that started. But, um, you know, one of the first really good players in Phoenix. He had a couple good years in Philly, you know, ended his career in San Jose. I mean, I, I he doesn't have a lot of the award stuff where, you know, I was looking at Hose's, uh, you know, hockeyreference.com where you look at the awards, you know, every year he's in he's getting votes, you know. How much does that really mean much? I mean, Ronick, you know, he's only got a couple of years. You know, he's one of those guys. He scored goals and that's about it. I mean, obviously he's got 700 assists, you know, but he's a nine-time All-Star. He was de- I would say he was definitely one of the better players of his era. Um, again, I got to see a little bit more of him where he played into the 2000s. I know Vince Vaughn probably wants him to be in with the great, uh, being great in NHL 94. But yeah, he should be in, uh, you know, if if. The Hockey Hall of Fame had the morality clause like baseball does. I probably, He probably wouldn't be because he's kind of an asshole. But, yeah, I'd say, you know, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I I, I mean, I think what Ronick said was dumb. I, I don't know if I'd say he's he's an a-hole. I mean, but then again, I love the guy. I mean, he was one of my, again, one of my, my childhood heroes. The thing is, is that, like, Ronick, I don't ever remember him having, like, a bad incident with a fan no, I think from what I've heard and from the interview he did, he seems to be, you know, a good dude. I mean, he said he said, you know, it's like there there's something to love about people that like are good guys and maybe just get in trouble for saying things they shouldn't. You know, like he's he's a guy who opens his mouth and says some things wrong. I think what he said in uh, in December definitely crossed the line. You know, was that was stupid. I mean, he's I've looked and he, you know, he said done some other things, but who hasn't? 
you know, he's just a guy who kind of opens his mouth and I think that's okay. You know, uh, I, I just, you know, December was not good. I don't think that affects his hall of fame or should affect his hall of fame case. I think that should just be what happened on the ice. And they definitely think he's good enough. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and this was something that happened off the ice and yeah, it was stupid what he said, but this wasn't like he did something terrible. He just said something really dumb and embarrassing but now, if uh, Ronick gets in, he's going to have to wait at least two more years because looking ahead at the class of 2021, so here's just the top four that are eligible. Yarmir Yager, Henrik Sedin, Daniel Sedin, and Henrik Zetterberg. So, I mean, right there, there's your... <laughs> that's going to be your four players right there, and then maybe you'll have one or two women players, maybe one or two builders, but... I think it's pretty safe to say that these four guys would be a lock, wouldn't they? I mean, obviously, I think Yager is, you know, is, as much of a lock as humanly possible. I think the Sedins, too. I think, you know, they put up really good, really good numbers. And I think, you know, the fact that they were as consistent as they were, you know, coming in as twins, that they're actually only eight places apart on the all-time points list, which is kind of crazy. Uh, Henrik in the lead by it looks like 39 points yeah i think those two i'd like to see him go in together i think that would be cool i'm really interested to see if zetterberg gets in first ballot i think he's worthy um you know he played 15 years for the red wings a thousand games 337 goals again you know a guy who didn't play i mean 15 years is a long time and you know it's hard for me to judge red wings because they were what i grew up watching and obviously you know I grew up watching some of the best teams, you know. I probably started watching 0506 and the guys that were standard for me are, you know, Nick Lidstrom. I was like, "Oh, he's good. It's like he's the best of all time." You know, he's he's <laughs> our, he's a lock for minimum second best defenseman ever. Grew up watching Hashik, Osgood, Zetterberg, all these, you know, Rafalski who we talked about who um isn't in the Hall of Fame. So, it's hard for me to judge guys like that cuz they're all I know. But you know, you look at his numbers Crazy injured his last few years, played 82 games three years in a row, his last three years, you know, even, you know, even the years where Datsuk left and the wings were not good anymore. He was still putting up, I think, minimum 48 points. And those were years where he actually only played 46 games, 2012, 2013, 2013, 2014. Like he was one of the best playmakers I've ever seen. You know, all the times my dad would be like, oh, it was Utterberg. He's washed up. And obviously the bat kind of left him, but you know, almost, you know, 960 career points. Conn Smythe, uh, he won a Stanley Cup. He was a second-team All-Star. Great playoff performer every year. Uh, he's got a gold medal, uh, was captain of Team Sweden one year. It would be interesting. He's a guy who, you know, if he, if he played 20 years and, you know, kept trending the way he was trending, I think he'd be a Hall of Famer. He'd hit a couple more benchmarks. But I'm interested in him because he's kind of like my litmus test, like, is what he accomplished good enough? You know, obviously captain the wings for a while too. Like, is it good enough to be first bout? I think he's a Hall of Famer. I'm also, I'm more interested to see if he's worthy to get his number retired by the Red Wings. Mm. Because, you know, to all the accolades I mentioned, but like, there's a lot of guys who don't have their number retired who deserve it. And pretty much to get your number retired by the Wings, you got to be an all-time great. You know, Sergei Fedorov doesn't have his. Obviously his is more because of a contract dispute. But... I think that's a better question because there's a lot of guys who played for the Red Wings who are in the Hall of Fame, but there's not that many guys who have their number retired. But I hope Zetterberg gets in. Uh, I don't think he's a lock as much as, you know, he's probably a top five favorite player of mine all time. Um, just because, you know, 
the numbers aren't there, but I mean, on the ice, he was, you know, probably the best player every time he touched it. I'll still be holding my breath for Ronit. <laughs> anyway, so um, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. If you like this podcast, please be sure to subscribe to it. Please be sure to tell your friends about it. And if you like to uh, support this podcast, you could buy a shirt over at shop.puckjunk.com. Until next time, thank you for listening. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk. <laughs>